You may open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Brother Red, thank you for opening up Psalm 119 verses 9 through 16. I would like to take three of those verses and say this. With my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. We're about to unload the judgments of God's mouth from Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And you're going to know what I mean in just a couple of minutes. Verse 15, I will meditate in thy precepts. There is nothing better to think upon than what the Word of God declares, so that you can measure everything you read in the newspaper, hear on the radio, see on the television, or hear from anyone else's mouth, because all that matters is what God has said. And I will have respect unto thy ways which we want to respect His ways. We don't want to care about the ways of anyone else. Whether they do it, teach it, support it, whether the whole world agrees together against us, it's God's ways that we're going to have respect unto. I will delight myself in Thy statutes, not the statutes of anyone else, not the statutes of any nation, no matter how large, powerful, wise, or esteemed to be popular and great, no matter how traditional or or ancient in their origin, I will not forget thy word. And so we come to Ecclesiastes chapter 10, where the wisdom of God is given to us in a little book of philosophy found in the scriptures that tells us so many different lessons of how we ought to live. There is so much political theory here and political science. There is dietary rules for us. There's marital rules and how we ought to live. There's rules about how you ought to enter the house of God, how many words ought to come out of your mouths whether you ought to be sober or foolish, the place of mirth in a Christian's life, what color of clothing you ought to wear, and what you ought to be thinking when you're drinking wine. And on and on and on, the book of Ecclesiastes goes. And it is such a small little book, but it is so full of God's precious words to us. And as we began a few minutes ago, we are not to live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And we want to include these words as well. We have been through the first two lessons of the book, which are found in the first of the chapter, excuse me. The first lesson in verses 1 through 3 is our necessity to guard our reputations and our wisdom. To have it at our right hand where we can use it and it's close at hand and it's in an esteemed place in our lives. Lest when we walk by the way we show everyone that we're a fool. Verse 4 tells us how we are to make peace with those that are in authority over us by yielding to them and pacifying our great offenses by not leaving our place, not fighting against civil government especially, but all those positions of authority that God has ordained. We come to the third lesson, the 48th lesson of the book, in verses 5 through 7. Let me read these words to you. These are the words of the living God. They come from His mouth. We will have respect unto His ways, we will love His statutes, we will keep His judgments, and we will not forget His Word. Because our nation has forgotten these three verses, and we're about to wage war against our nation and what it thinks in light of these words. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun as an error which proceedeth from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity, and the rich sit in low place. I have seen servants upon horses, and princes walking as servants upon the earth. May God bless the reading 
and now the expounding of His Word. The lesson here, government should enforce proper roles. Servants are not equal to princes. They are a world apart. They do not belong together, nor should they act like each other, nor should they be treated like each other. The rich, successful, experienced, mature, exalted, noble men are not like fools, commoners, laborers. There is a difference between them, and that difference should be maintained, and it should be maintained by government. It is an error that comes from the ruler when class distinctions are broken down. We do not live, thank the blessed God of heaven, in such insane countries as China and Russia and other places that try to break down class distinctions. We live in America where we have them. And we live in America where the Bible has been taught for a long time, though it no longer is, and where our country has degenerated to where folly is set in great dignity. That is fools, foolish persons, because it's contrasted with princes. Is put folly and foolish persons and low people are put in high place and the rich and successful are put in low place. This is an error. Solomon called it an error. And it proceeds from the ruler. Solomon called it an evil. It is a sin. It is a violation of God's order. And all of it reflects the God of heaven. They don't know the God of heaven. So with the first fundamental aspect of wisdom, the fear of the Lord, not being in place, they ruin and corrupt political science and the affairs of nations and the, the proper place of each position of authority in the five spheres of authority we have in the world. We want to take a few minutes and deal with this. The Bible is a hard book. It is a harsh book. Because the God of heaven is hard and harsh against His enemies. The God of heaven drowned and suffocated the entire planet because they rebelled against Him. It didn't matter whether they were young, whether they were nursing children, or people in a senior citizen's home. He drowned every single one of them without exception. He drowned every little kitty cat, every little bundle of fur that you think is so pretty, God drowned every single one of them because of the sin of man. The entire race that we are part of was condemned to an eternity in the lake of fire because of eating the fruit off a tree that had been forbidden in the Garden of Eden. That is the God of heaven. Never modify Him. Never water Him down or compromise what He is like. And He is like that in the beginning of the Bible. He's like that in the end of the Bible. And when we meet Him the next time, He's going to burn up this world and melt all of its elements with fervent heat. And He will cast the wicked from Him and say He never knew them into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That God told man that He created to have dominion over the world. He told those men that they were to annihilate the Canaanites, the seven nations of Canaan, when they took the land of Canaan. Because God hated those people and He hated their sins and wickedness. And God has ordained authority in five spheres. It began with a wife. So that the first sphere of authority, under God, of course, He's the first one, but I'm talking about five relationships among men. The first is marriage, because Adam was given Eve and told to rule over her. And she was his helper. He was not her helper. 
She was his helper. She was made for him, not him for her. And he was to rule over her and her desire was to be to him. Her her desires were going to be subordinate to his desires. A woman changes her last name and all of her desires get flushed down the toilet when she marries a man because the man is going to set her desires from that point forward. If he's a wise and understanding man, according to verse 10, he is going to consider some of her desires in order to win greater service and favor out of her. We'll get to that later. Then they had Cain and Abel. And we had parents over children, so we had the second sphere of authority. Then they started a business. And we had masters over servants, and that's the third sphere of authority. Then businesses, in order to be protected and people to protect themselves from other nations and city-states, very early in the days of the Bible, God ordained every one of these. Man didn't invent them. There weren't men sitting around a campfire eating on a half-cooked rabbit, and it came up with five spheres of authority. There weren't any boomerangs laying beside them. There weren't any blowguns laying beside them. Man never thought of such stupid things. There are only certain places in the world where God has left people ignorant like he did the ostrich that do such things. If you read the first four chapters of Genesis, you'll find that they had organs and were artificers in brass and metals in making things in the early days in the history of this world. The fourth sphere of authority was government, civil government to protect nations and large groups of people. And then there is religious authority where God sets up judges, prophets, priests, kings, pastors, bishops, and so forth. And he says, submit yourselves to them that have taught you the word of God. And so we have a religious sphere of authority. But we come to these five verses, and there is an evil, which Solomon said, that as I observe life on earth, under the sun, as I observe life on earth, I saw an evil. And it was an error that came from the ruler, because the ruler did not defend and promote and enforce the proper roles in society, especially governmental authority, and then all other authority trickles down from that. God's authority over this world is first. But God set up kings because a king is the closest representation to God on earth. Right. And then after a king, it's a master. And then it's a father. And it's a husband. That's as close as we get to God on earth to see it in a living example before us. And when those institutions are watered down or compromised, and it comes from a ruler who doesn't defend them, it breaks down authority at all levels until folly gets set in great dignity. There's a lot of honor put on folly and foolish people and low men. And the rich sit in low place when successful Successful, accomplished, experienced, rich men should be put in high place. The rich belong to be in a high place because they're rich. The only people that mock against that are the poor because they resent and envy the rich because they have not accomplished in their lives what the rich did. Sometimes the rich get it by inheritance, but this passage is going to teach us in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 that that is a legitimate obtaining of riches and success and status. A king should be a son of nobles. It tells us that in verse 17. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles. When another man gets into an office at the highest levels, and he's not the son of nobles, we have corruption of God's order on earth. And we certainly face that in this country. We have a character that is running for the highest office in our nation that has no origin. 
There's nothing noble about his origin. The man that he faces, his father was a four-star admiral in the Navy, and his father was a four-star admiral in the Navy. A tremendous difference. These are not the words of Jonathan Crosby. These are the words of God Almighty through Solomon, his secretary. And that secretary said that the son of nobles is what ought to be in a ruling position. But let's come back to verses 5 through 7. There is an evil, and we need to call it that and believe that it is an evil. And it's called an error. And it comes from the ruler because authority needs to be defended and enforced from the top down. Or it breaks down. And then we have a corruption of society where there is no proper authority and people forget their proper place. And there's a place for children, there's a place for wives, there's a place for servants, there's a place for church members, there's a place for citizens. And we have a relationship that works perfectly when we do it God's way. And if we don't do it God's way, it's going to bite us because that's the next lesson in verses 8 and 9. That what goes around comes around. So let's keep these lessons connected together. And the one in authority, he better not abuse his authority. And it's not by bullying that accomplishes things. It's by using discretion and wisdom, as the 10th verse is going to teach us. But what is this evil and what is this error? Folly is set in great dignity. He calls it an evil. Solomon looked at everything he could see. He studied nations. He studied governments. He studied kingdoms and kings and relationships. He studied the wealth of nations. You know, it was 1776 when a man named Adam Smith in the nation of England wrote a book called A Strict Inquiry into the Causes and Nature of the Wealth of Nations. Well, Solomon had, Solomon had outwritten that man 3,000 years earlier. If you've read the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, all of a sudden Adam Smith was quite ignorant. Right. All of it's taught. In the book of Proverbs, go read the book of Proverbs. There's verses in Proverbs that if you'll open up the little saying of the Lord and see the depth of wisdom there, and it was 3,000 years before Adam Smith. Adam Smith's work is considered one of the fundamental texts of the political and economic theory of the United States of America and the prosperity of the English-speaking nations. But Solomon had written it 3,000 years earlier. And we want to learn it. He saw an evil and he saw an error. And it's folly or low men being put in exalted positions and rich men and successful men being reduced. He saw princes walking on the ground and servants on horses when servants should be on the ground and princes should be on the horses. This is the word of the Lord. Because all of that authority comes from him. God is never going to get off his throne and put someone else on it. He just doesn't have that kind of compassion in his heart. Because that isn't compassion, that's compromise. No one else belongs on his throne. The devil said, I will be like the Most High. I don't like the fact that you have the corner office, and you have your own bathroom in the corner of it, and I have to go down the hall and go to the bathroom with the rest of the people. I will be like the Most High. You know what the Lord did for him? He created a place called the Lake of Fire. Because the Lord will never share His glory. He said, I will not give my glory to any other. He is jealous for His glory, and His name is Jealous with a capital J. And when we corrupt the authorities that God has ordained on earth, it is a reflection on God Himself. 
Not only does it reflect on God Himself, who is the ultimate authority, but it reflects on God, who is the ordainer of all other authority. All authority positions God ordained. And He did not ordain for laborers to have a decision in any matter. Because they're too stupid. It's that simple. If you ever inquire about laborers and what they think about how a company should be run, as deep as they can get is that there ought to be a different caterer that brings lunch. They don't want tuna fish sandwiches. They want chicken salad sandwiches. They don't want two-ply toilet paper. They want single-ply. Servants do not belong on horses, and princes do not belong on the ground. Bill Gates deals with more in one minute of his life than any laborer in any of his plants or any program writer in any of his offices ever faces in an entire lifetime. Sixty plants in forty countries dealing with forty governments, antitrust lawsuits from the United States government, and all the decisions that must be made, those little people couldn't make those decisions if you put 10,000 of them together and gave them two months sabbatical and told them to come up with some recommendations. They're incapable of it. That's why they're at the bottom, and that's why Bill Gates is at the top. The cream rises to the top, always has, always will, and princes belong on horses and servants belong walking around, leading those horses and scooping up what comes from behind the horses. And when you corrupt that, you corrupt God's order for the world. Look at the nations that have tried it. Russia is so incompetent, they can't even feed their own people. Their people live in poverty. They have nothing. It's owned by the government and it's doled out by the government. There's no difference there between a brain surgeon and a taxi cab driver. They're totally incompetent at taking the the natural resources that God gave them and turning it into anything of value. Because they tried to break down those distinctions. Except at the very top, of course, they have those distinctions, don't they? If you don't like me, I'll just shoot you. You don't like me, I'll just put you in a Siberian prison camp. You know, in some ways, in that respect, they're closer to the truth than the United States is. Putin hasn't been caricatured very recently on too many television programs in Russia. Folly is set in great dignity and the rich. Notice, it says folly, but then it contrasts it with the rich. So we're not talking about just folly as a concept or folly as a thing or foolishness. We're talking about foolish men and low men as opposed to rich men and successful men. There's to be a difference between the two of them. And Solomon observed this corruption of these low men, fools, being set equal or above rich men. He said it is an error and it is an evil and it's wrong and it's the government's responsibility to enforce it. And by them allowing this corruption to take place, they're wrong. We must not underestimate the importance of each person fulfilling his role from God. You know, every one of you that are married and have children, you have two roles that God's given you, and you better enforce them, and you better live them in a godly way. You are to rule over your wife. That is not a suggestion. It's not a possibility. It's a commandment of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. You are to rule over your children and to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You are to chasten your son while there is hope. You are to beat him and to save his soul from hell. You are not to put up with his rebellion. 
You have those two positions from God. And they break down when they break down at the top. And he saw that error proceeding from the ruler. I love the, the God of heaven. I am so thankful that there is a God and His Son, Jesus Christ, who is the captain of my salvation, and He is the Lord of hosts, and He commands the armies of heaven, and He sits on the throne of God and shall sit there forever. He rules over heaven and earth, and He doesn't play around. He dips His horse's feet in the blood of His enemies. He tramples them under His feet. He tramples the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. Go read Revelation chapter 19. He has an army behind him called the saints of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's you and me on white horses ourselves. Psalm 2 describes God laughing at the enemies of Jesus Christ. They tell him to kiss the son. And they don't mean to kiss him as a buddy, but to kiss him as a king. To get down before him and to kiss his feet. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh yes, for his children, he will lift them up and say, fear not. You are my brother. When he presents us to God. But his enemies he destroys. He maintains authority at all times. That authority is not mixed, diluted, confused in heaven. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He has been, is, and always will be Lord of all. Every angel will give an account to him. And they'll be cast into hell for their wickedness. Every man will give an account to him. And be cast into hell for the wickedness. I love the word of God. It says... That there are four beautiful things on earth. And it says that one of those beautiful things is a king. And it describes what is beautiful about that king. And it's not his pretty clothes. And it's not his bulletproof limousine that he rides around in. What is it that makes a king beautiful in the sight of God and of men who think like God thinks? A king against whom there is no rising up. You say, that sounds like a totalitarian dictator. Praise God it does. Absolutely. God's a totalitarian dictator. And when He sets up kings, He sets them up as totalitarian dictators. Do you know what happened to men who spoke against Moses? The earth opened up her mouth and swallowed them alive and everything that pertained to them. Do you know what happened when 42 children decided to call a prophet of God a bald head? Two she-bears came out of the woods and tear 42 of them. God defends authority from the top to the bottom. Do you know what he says about children who make light of parents? Cursed. This isn't my word. God's. Cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother. Deuteronomy 27, 16. The Bible is graphic and the Bible is, is plain. The Bible is harsh. The Bible is cruel against any efforts to subvert God's authority structures. What is the picture God wants you to have of a child that rebels against its parents? In Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 17. Can you help me out? What two creatures are involved in the word picture? Eagles of the valley and ravens. And what are those eagles of the valley and ravens doing with those big hooked beaks of theirs? Ripping the eyeballs out of teenagers that mock their parents with their eyes. Have you ever rolled your eyes at your parents? Now people think that I am too graphic, too plain, too harsh, too cruel. 
I delight in God's precepts and I delight in them and I do not want to come short of them. I will not go past them, but I am not going to come short of them. It is too bad that you were raised in an effeminate society by an effeminate father in the effeminate school system and have seen effeminate men all your lives. Humble yourselves before God's Word. The picture of a teenager that rolls his eyes at his parents is one of that teenager having his eyeballs ripped out by the eagles of the valley and the ravens of the sky. That's the Bible. Do you delight in that? I delight in it. I have longed to serve a king like this. I think he's glorious. Because I know what I needed when I was a teenager. I needed needed a five-minute YouTube clip of an eagle of a valley eating eyeballs out of a teenager, I think I'd have straightened up real fast. That's what I needed. And I needed that verse shoved down my throat. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun as an error which proceedeth from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity. Folly is set in great dignity. We cannot preach the Bible in the public school systems. The Bible is outlawed in the public school systems. And yet on Friday of this week, a movie was released on this country called W. To make fun of and demean the President of the United States, whose name is President George W. Bush. As I told my family last night, I wish the paramilitary forces of the United States would go find Oliver Stone right now, and that bulletproof limo would drive up, and George Bush would get out of it and pull a gun and blow both kneecaps off of Oliver Stone. Then blow both shoulders off and let him bleed to death in the street. Go ahead and send this tape anywhere you want. Send it anywhere you want. I'll kiss you for it. I couldn't care less. I am so angry, and you ought to be angry, and if you're not angry, you're effeminate. You've got the heart of a woman. This is what the Bible teaches. Folly is set in great dignity. Every movie house across this country has a movie called W in it, released on Friday to make fun of the President of the United States of America. I don't care what bad decisions he's made. I don't care if he is a secret Buddhist. He is the President of the United States of America. And to think that a man can produce a film and put it in our movie houses, and it's allowed to go on that makes fun of him and reduces the glory of his kingdom, and reduces him as a man, that is a terrible thing. And we want to stand against it with all our might. Or it's an error and it's an evil, and it proceeds from the ruler because he's allowing it to happen. Because we let women vote in this country, so we have rulers that are like women. Thank God that women didn't get to vote in this country until about 1923, or sometime back there just a few years ago. A woman's too emotional. You need some men making decisions that will put a man in office. Because a man in office wouldn't put up with this. Do you think David would put up with it? Let me tell you a little bit about David. you think David was a real gentle, loving man? He was to those that loved the Lord. Do you know what he did to the Ammonites? Have you read your Bible enough and do you read it with understanding? What did he do with the Ammonites? He used farming equipment to chop them in pieces and put them in a brick kiln and burn them up. You say, that violates the Geneva Convention. David never heard of the Geneva Convention. He didn't use full metal jackets. 
He used farming instruments and plows to plow people under and throw them in a brick kiln. Do you know what he did to Shimei? Shimei one time cursed him and David knew that he was guilty. And so David said, oh, listen, David's men standing around him, they weren't like the ones in Washington, D.C. The the men standing around him said, let us go over and take the the head off that dead dog. He's cursing the king. Let's go take the head off that dead dog. David knew that he was guilty. He knew why Absalom was in Jerusalem because he had sinned in adultery and murder with Bathsheba. And he said, let Shimei curse. God sent him to curse me. You say, see, David's forgiving. Really? Okay. On the way back into Jerusalem after Absalom has been killed, Shimei meets David and begs for his life. David says, Shimei, I promise you in the name of the Lord, I will not kill you. On his deathbed, with an oxygen nose, with an oxygen hose at his nose, Solomon, Solomon came over and put his ear down. Don't let Shimei go down to the grave in peace. He is an enemy of the kingdom. Kill him. Go read about it. We do not understand authority. Do you know that if there were men from the top down being treated as enemies and being shot in the streets, do you know that sons would be a whole lot more reverent to their husbands and wives would be a whole lot more reverent to their fathers, excuse me, sons to their fathers and wives to their husbands. For those of you that read Esther chapter 1 last night, was it one awesome chapter? I've read that thing so many times. I, I had more pleasure at preparing for it to be read and then reading it with my children last night. Was Haman in Esther chapter 1? Help me understand what Esther 1 is there for. Does God waste any words? No. Was Haman in chapter 1? Was Mordecai in chapter 1? Was Esther in chapter 1? What in the world was chapter 1 there for? For you to have a Bible commentary on Ecclesiastes 10, 5 through 7. Because those seven counselors of King Ahasuerus were certainly wise. They said, King, if we let Vashti get away with this, every wife in this kingdom is going to defy her husband and be rebellious in the house. And so you have got to take a strong stand with what Vashti has done, and you've got to make it known from the top down that husbands' authorities are defended in this country so that both great and small... So a shepherd, a thousand miles away, on the steps of Afghanistan, when he went home to his wife, his wife trembled because she had a husband that had just come home from the fields. Because what they all heard had happened to Vashti that was the queen of Persia. There was so much wisdom in Esther chapter 1. That was fulfilling these three verses. Because it's an error that proceeds from the ruler. It starts at the top. He sets the standard because he's the highest authority in the land. He's the highest example in the land. He's the highest authority on earth. They are called little gods. When you let someone make fun of the God in Washington, D.C., you are making fun of the God in heaven who called them gods. Right. If we could have President George W. Bush in here right now, I would do obeisance as far as I could, just coming short of what God deserves. I'd give him anything he wanted. Who'd want to give him a right arm and let them cut it off? Who wants to do something for our president? I'm so... 
Lord, I don't want to go beyond your word, but I don't want to come one milligram, one millimeter short of it. Right. W. He isn't W. He is the most honorable president of the United States of America, and he ought to be treated like one. He is the commander-in-chief of the armies and military forces of this nation. He is the highest office in this land, and he's respected because of that position, whether they like him or not, is the highest office on this earth, because our nation is so great by God's blessing alone, and it's undeserving of it. I hope you enjoyed Esther chapter 1 and the, and the ex- explanation it gave for what I'm talking about right now. There are kings that have not done so well. There was a Herod that had a birthday party for himself, and his stepdaughter danced for him and pleased him, and he offered her anything up to half the kingdom. That is folly being set in exalted, in great dignity, to let some goofy little girl do a dance, and offer her half the kingdom? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever read. What a difference between Ahasuerus and Herod. And what what did the little girl get for that? John the Baptist's head. You say, but he made a promise and he had to keep it. Oh, no, you don't have to keep a promise when somebody abuses a promise. Do you need Bible help on that subject? Do you need Bible help to know that when you make a promise or you make an oath, even in the name of the Lord God of Israel, Jehovah, capital L-O-R-D, that you don't have to keep it if somebody tries to abuse that? Solomon, with a request from who? His Bathsheba, his mother, who was put up to it by who? Adonijah, his brother. Remember, Adonijah said, Bathsheba, would you do me a favor? Would you go in and ask Solomon if I could have Abishag? the virgin that slept in David's bed to keep him warm in the last few days and weeks of his life, can I have her to marry? Bathsheba came in, kissed her son. Oh, Solomon, would you do me a favor? Mother, I'll give you anything you want up to half the kingdom. May Adonijah marry Abishag? What does he want? The throne? Benaiah? Go kill him. That simple. Yep. Amen. That was Solomon full of the Holy Ghost yes. and preserving his kingdom. We do not understand authority. See, if we were to read in the papers when we got home that President Bush had done what I just described to Oliver Stone, wow, things would change in America. Yes. I'd love to see the press corps when they came in for their next meeting with the president. Amen. Would they ask their goofy, ridiculous questions? Don't you think you've had too many weeks vacation this year, Mr. President? Do you think Nebuchadnezzar ever answered questions like that? One time. I lo- do, you, do you delight in all of God's ways? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Do you want to know how to interpret what's going on in this world and what goes on in our country? Then learn the Word of God, because man should live by every single word of it. And part of those words are right here in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. God is very plain about not giving honor to fools. Look at Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 10. They don't deserve it. A man that's industrious and diligent in his work, he's going to stand before kings. He's not going to stand before mean men. They're not even close to each other. That is a great contrast set up 
to show what a diligent man gets. He gets to stand before kings instead of mean men. For those of you that got past the third grade in math, what does the word mean mean? Average. Those are average men. An average man who only puts in an average amount of effort is going to stand before average men. What a low position it is. It's the lowest common denominator of society. But a man who's diligent, he's going to stand before kings. There's a contrast set up in the Bible. Proverbs 19 and verse 10, Delight is not seemly for a fool. Seemly is appropriate, fit for a situation. Delight. A fool does not get to have pleasure. He shouldn't be given any. Delight. In, in someone else toward a fool or a fool in life itself. Delight is not seemly for a fool. It's inappropriate. It's not right. Much less for a servant to have rule over princes. Servants shouldn't be able to rule over princes. Princes rule over servants. This is God's order. It comes down from the top. The angels are organized into ranks of authority called principalities and powers. There are the principalities of various nations on earth. And there are powers or the ordained civil powers of government. The angels are divided into principalities and powers. They're divided into mights, thrones, and dominions based on the authority God gave them. They are in ranks. There are greater angels and there are lesser angels, and they're described in the Bible. Michael and Gabriel were great angels, and they're described as such. The devil was a great angel, but he's been cast out of heaven. They're organized. They're efficient. They understand authority. But Jesus Christ is over them all. And it's not right for a servant to have rule over princes. The princes in the angelic realm reign over the servants in the angelic realm. The principalities and powers are not violated. They know Jesus of Nazareth is their Lord. When He was on earth, they fell at His feet and worshipped Him. They knew He could send them to their torment before their time. They feared Him. They trembled at His name. And we ought to tremble at the name of the authorities God has put in our nation. President George W. Bush deserves our trembling before him. I wish I knew how to do something for him. I could send him a tape. I'm sure the Secret Service would call. It's not good enough for him. The Word of God is. Just not the ass that God's chosen for you poor people. Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 1. Look at this. Proverbs 26, 1. As snow in summer and as rain in harvest. Is snow in summer a decent thing? You're at the beach and you're making snowballs? Okay. As rain in harvest, you're out trying to bring your crops in and it's pouring down rain. So honor is not seemly for a fool. A fool shouldn't get any honor. It's inappropriate, it's corrupt, it's contrary to nature, it's perverse. How about verse 8? As he that bindeth a stone in a sling, so is he that giveth honor to a fool. Have any of you ever seen someone sling a stone with a sling? It was a very effective military weapon. They could throw a billiard ball a quarter of a mile with one encirclement of the head. Dave Taylor is much more expert on this than I am. But they would hold that thing and just and just jerk it around once, and that centrifugal force could. They didn't throw little pebbles. Right. You think Goliath got hit with some little lightweight five gram pebble? He got hit with a billiard ball right between his eyes. 
Okay, now that centrifugal force can throw a billiard ball a quarter of a mile. That's 1,320 feet. How far can you throw a billiard ball with your arm? About 120 feet? 200 feet? Now, what if you bound that stone in the sling? What if you tied that stone up in the sling and then you put the same effort in? Do you know what's going to happen? The stone ain't going to leave, but the centrifugal force is still there. So it's going to continue its circle and hit you right in the head. Delight is not seemly for a fool, as he that bindeth a stone in a sling, because that is really stupid, to bind a stone, to tie a stone in a sling so it can't come out, so is he that giveth honor to a fool. You know what makes this world an unbearable place? That people like Oliver Stone get to live. Can I prove it with the Bible? Proverbs chapter 30. There's four things that make this world an almost unbearable place to live. Proverbs chapter 30. I did not pick the topic for this morning. I did not pick the timing for this topic this morning. God picked this topic. God told me to preach Ecclesiastes, and I've tried to preach through it fairly and honestly from beginning to end, and this is the subject we deal with right now. Do you really want to love God? Do you really want to praise God? Do you really want to be a Christian? There's more to it than just quoting Bible verses at Bible quiz. And I'm not demeaning that whatsoever. I love that. Some of you did very well yesterday. I'll get to you before the day's over. It's honoring authority because authority is a reflection on God. He calls them gods. That is a powerful statement, isn't it? And Jesus used that in John chapter 10 because he knew that that word was the correct word. And that's when he said, can scripture be broken? Because that is the proper word for someone in authority. They're a little god. You know, reverence is used of God. Holy and reverend is His name. But do you know who else ought to be reverenced in this world? Fathers and husbands. Reverenced. Wives and children ought to tremble before their fathers. We are way too lax. Way too lax. He that saith light by his father or his mother. Proverbs chapter 30. Verse 21, for three things, the earth is disquieted, and for four, which it cannot bear. Here are four things that the world cannot stand. Verse 22, for a servant when he reigneth, when a servant is given some power, when a servant is given some authority, when a servant is put in a committee that can make recommendations to the management of a company. Oh, then you've got, to go head, you've got to go send bids out again to more canteen trucks that will come around with more sandwiches made last week and put in plastic for the little workers. It's unbelievable. Huh. You know, management is dealing with Sarbanes-Oxley. They're dealing with government antitrust suits. They're managing 165,000 employees that are using 40 languages in 40 countries and 60 plants. And they've got to sit down and listen to some committee that wants to put out bids to another company to bring their sandwiches and plastic that were made last week. If you said Sarbanes-Oxley to anybody on that committee, they wouldn't even know what you were talking about. There's four things. That the earth cannot bear. A servant when he reigneth, a fool when he is filled with meat, an odious woman when she is married, and a handmaid that is heir to her mistress. All three of those, three of those, let's skip the odious woman. We've dealt with her so much over the past 20 years. 
Let's deal with the other three. Those other three are all about subverting positions in life. All three. A fool when he's filled with meat. Do you know why he's filled with meat? Because someone else gave it to him because he doesn't work hard enough to ever earn it. Someone else gave him a big meal. When a fool's got a big meal in his belly, he thinks he's all set for time and eternity because it's the last time he had a square. And so he shoots off his big mouth. A fool when he is filled with meat. A servant when he reigns. He's given some authority and power. Or a maid that is heir to her mistress. A maid that is going to get something of her mistress when she dies. Guess how she starts to treat her mistress? It's sort of like Hagar and Sarah. Do you remember? As soon as Hagar had a little bit of influence in Abraham's family, it messed everything up in that family. Okay. This is what the Word of God says. And we're just scratching the surface. But let me say a few more things on this subject. Yes, I wanted to get all the way through chapter 10 today. But, 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 but will you hold with me? You know, there have been kings that have been... There are kings that have had graded errors enough that they would have court jesters. A court jester is that folly set in great dignity? To have one of those little bab- baboons, buffoons, idiots running around with the three-pointed hat tumbling off his head? The three-pointed hat, go look it up, it means I'm an ass. Right. You know, they have men running around saying, I'm an ass, jumping up and down. Oh, king, oh, king, I'm an ass. Folly is set in great dignity. Have you heard of court jesters? Right. Kings have done that. But you know Solomon, when he described everything he had, he didn't say anything about court jesters. He said he had men singers. He had women singers. He had gold. He had silver. I built me great works. He did things that noble kings do, but he didn't have court jesters. Friday, that movie was released. Maybe you think I'm too hard. You know, listen, shooting his kneecaps out and blowing his shoulders off. That doesn't take as long as stoning takes. Stoning could take a long time, especially if I was throwing the stones to Oliver Stone. I'd take a long time. I would avoid his head at all costs. Be the last one. After every bone was broken and he was bleeding internally from every organ. You say, you're so cruel. Think about stoning. Think about stoning. It's not just words in our King James Bible. It's the form of capital punishment God chose. Did they know about a sword in those days? Did they know about hanging in those days? Did they know about darts in those days? Did they know about poison in those days? They didn't do any of those because they were too kind. And the Bible says, Thou shalt not show pity. God loved Nebuchadnezzar. He said, You're the head of gold. You're a king of kings. You are my servant, 50 times the books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. My servant, Nebuchadnezzar. Because he was, a, he was the greatest king that the world is described in the Bible of a king with authority that, that would not stand anyone rising up against him. Let's go back to Thursday night. Folly is set in great dignity. The rich sit in low place. You know what I'm, where I'm going? Okay. I think you know where I'm going, maybe. Folly is set in great dignity. Foolish men. Foolishness is put up. And rich, successful, wise men are put down. Was there a debate between two presidential candidates for our, the top office in our nation on Wednesday night? Did those two men, in certain ways, very poorly... 
And there's a reason for that. God has judged our nation by taking away mighty men and taking away eloquent orators. We don't have any anymore. We don't have any statesmen like we once had and like the Bible intends when they think of a leader over a nation. But did that debate take place on Wednesday night where they tried to point out that there are differences between their their, their proposed policies and plans for our nation? Were they trying to show a difference between the two? Well, on Thursday night, there was an annual dinner in Manhattan called the, the Alfred Smith Dinner. It's a white tie affair. You wear, you have to wear white bow ties. It's as elegant and as high of a dinner as can exist. It is for the Archdiocese of the Catholics of New York City. Because Alfred Smith was the first Irish American to be a governor of a state and a Roman Catholic, and he ran for the presidency of the United States many years ago. And it's in his memory. And it's to raise money for the Catholics in New York City. It is presided over by Cardinal Egan of the Roman Catholic Church. At that dinner, Cardinal Egan sat with Barack Obama, Senator Barack Obama on his right hand, and Senator John McCain on his left hand. The evening was for those two men to make fun of each other and to make fun of themselves in front of the audience for a bunch of hilarity. I didn't pick the timing for this message. I didn't even know what I was going to get into when I stirred in the book of Ecclesiastes to the degree that I've learned since we've studied our way through it. Folly is said in great dignity. You can go read transcripts of it on the internet. It took place Thursday night, 24 hours after they debated, supposedly showing their differences. They flattered each other. They jested about each other. They jested about authority and other people in positions of government. They joked about themselves. Folly was said in great dignity. You know, I want to say that I respect Senator Kerry and Senator Gore that would not go to that dinner because they believed in abortion and they knew the Catholics didn't, so they would not go to a dinner that was supporting met an organization that didn't believe in abortion. Senator Barack Obama believes in abortion, but he went anyway. Senator John McCain com- says he's a Baptist. What's he doing there? Right. I'm not preaching politics. I am preaching for you how to take Ecclesiastes 10, 5 through 7, and the cross-references that relate to it and apply it to things that you're reading right now in our nation. Our nation is being destroyed from the inside out because it's an error that proceedeth from the ruler. There is not the proper defense and enforcement of authority that there should be. That was Thursday night. W is released on Friday, and on it goes. What do you think ought to happen to Tina Fey? Do you know the comedian Tina Fey that has impersonated Sarah Palin over the last couple of months? Let Sarah Palin be jail to Tina Fey. You say, but it was funny. It was funny. I wouldn't watch it, but it was funny. Everybody told me it was funny. She's a gifted comedian. You know, that's enough for capital punishment right there. Foolish talking and jesting, God's going to come to destroy the world. Because it's not a joking matter. Tina Fey put on a big pair of glasses, did her hair up like Governor Sarah Palin, and then mocked her on Saturday Night Live. It's all over the Internet, anywhere you want to look for the last six weeks. Folly. Folly is said in great dignity. A dumb comedian 
that can't do anything but tell jokes. Do you know what that is? It's a buffoon. It's an idiot. How much do you love the Word of God? Do you know how we can do this? We can do it in our homes. We can do it in our thoughts. We can do it in our words. Do you know what verse 20 of this chapter is going to tell us? It's going to tell us, don't curse the king. No, not even in your thoughts. And you're not to curse the rich even in your bedchamber. Who are the rich? Noblemen. Your masters. Your bosses at work. If we're, if we're to be wise, do you know what kind of wisdom we're getting from the Word of God? If we're to be wise, we do not make fun, ridicule, revile, or curse our kings, our senators, our governors, or our masters, even in our bedrooms or in our thoughts. We learn to humble ourselves before them. The ones that are in office are ones God put there. The office God ordained. The particular spirit that, an, that a man in an office at a particular time has is from the Lord. The preparations of the heart in man, the answer of the tongue, is from the Lord. There's no man in any office that has ever done anything that wasn't under the complete control and dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we should not revile, curse, criticize, um, demean, defy, even in our thoughts. We should be as respectful as we possibly can. If they're doing something contrary to the Word of God, then point it out to your wife. If they're doing something contrary to the Word of God, point it out to your children. But that still doesn't mean you have to defy them, ridicule them, demean them, revile them, curse them. That's going to be in verse 20. We can put these three verses into practice. This is not just political theory. This is that we need to learn to support and and submit to authority. Who saw that the Nebraska state senator filed a lawsuit against God back in September of 2007? Anybody read about that? A lawsuit against God. And it took them a year to throw that out of court. They shouldn't have thrown it out of court. They should have thrown him through court and on out to the executioner. That's blasphemy. A Nebraska state senator, a lawsuit against God. Editorials and entertainment television caricature and mock our president every single day. Editorials across this country in the cartoons they draw about our president and what they do on entertainment TV, stand-up comics. The number one joke is President George W. Bush. Sitcoms mock authority of parents. There is no sitcom in these days that shows an intelligent, wise, loving, understanding, prudent, ruling father in a home or a husband. They're all idiots because they're making fun of authority. They're breaking authority down. It starts at the top. There shouldn't be jesting and joking from somebody like our president or about our president. Folly is said in great dignity. They poll students. Can you believe that news reporters would go on to a university campus and stick a microphone in the face of a student and say, what would you do about the war in Iraq? Can you believe it? They're asking the most ignorant strata of society. Little diapered babies that have never worked a day in their lives. All they've done is read the foaming drivel of other idiots that went before them that didn't want to have a real job. What do you think ought to happen? Ask some little flattered child that is going to school to learn how to, to read and to write and to do their math. What do you think? Well, we polled students at Harvard. What, what would you poll them for? Their combined experience is zero. Their combined wisdom is less than zero. Right. A girl with an 82-point IQ. That's a warm room. Drops out of school in the eighth grade. 
has three children by three different men. She turns 18 and gets to pull the same lever that Bill Gates gets to pull. Folly is set in great dignity. What in the world allows that little girl to pull the same lever that Bill Gates pulls? Bill Gates pays more in taxes in one minute than she'll pay in her entire life. All she is is a leech on government, not a supporter of government. Do you know who ought to be making this? You know, I asked the children last night, I said, how many votes should Bill Gates get compared to her if we give her one? I mean, it's wrong to give her one, but if we gave her one, how many should Bill Gates get? And I, one of my sons piped up and said, one per dollar. Well, that'd be a lot of votes. I think he's worth $30 billion right now. So he gets $30 billion votes. Now, that's not, that's not fair because that's not enough for Bill Gates. Because his wisdom and experience and understanding of government and what needs to take place in our country is greater than 30 billion times hers. Folly is set in great dignity. Are you able to read the Bible and see what goes on in our country? And guess what when a jury is needed? The Bill Gates get out of it because they have too much to do. But guess who does show up? Because they like the dollar ten an hour. Or whatever it is. Don't, don't quote me on that one. I can't remember. And so you get 12 people like that sitting in a jury. You know what? Save yourself some money. Stop calling juries. Let someone make some decisions. When an actor or an actress opens their mouth and is printed anywhere in this country about their opinion of our government, that is folly being said in dignity. The stupidest level of our society. The idiots that couldn't do anything else except to pretend that they're someone they're not. Getting to make an opinion on our government? Unbelievable. Folly. Folly. Do you know what an actor or an actress is? It's an, it's an unemployed idiot. And they get quoted. Right. Can you believe it? Who cares what Jane Fonda thinks? Who cares what Alec Baldwin thinks? Who cares what Sharon Stone thinks? They don't like America? Go live somewhere else and see if somebody else will pay them $20 million a flick. Folly is set in great dignity. Here's where it all came from. We, have a, we are a nation of rebels. We always have been. Always have been. Listen very, very, very carefully. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter it or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such forms as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. That is anarchy and that is rebellion. That was a letter declaring the independence of the United States 
to the king of England who owned these United States. If you got this letter under your pillow, what would you think? Would you be able to understand it better than that proud, arrogant statement? We children think it obvious you are not better than us. As equals, God has guaranteed our rights to freedom and the pleasures of our choice. The only reason children have parents is to provide for their continual fun. Otherwise, children would abolish parents. Parents only exist by the approval of their children. If you continue to restrict our rights, we will rebel and reject you and start a new family. They will make sure we have our rights and allow us to do what we want. We have written this ultimatum in order to make a family to our liking. Promote child rights. Guarantee family peace. Protect ourselves from your authority. And secure fun for every child now and forever. What would you do if you got that from your children? You understand it if it came from your children. What are self-evident truths? I don't know of self-evident truths. Do you know what truth I understand? It comes from God's Word. It's not self-evident. It's God-revealed. All men are not created equal. All men are created very unequal by the disposing providence of God. Of course, this could be elaborated on for many hours. But just think. Man does not have rights. Responsibilities trump rights. Man has responsibilities and duties. The pursuit of happiness is severely bounded by God and limited by God. Your pursuit of happiness can only be within the bounds the Word of God allows. That is not an unalienable right. God and men are to take away your life whenever you commit a capital crime as defined by the Word of God. You don't have the unalienable right of life or liberty. You can be confined. You can be confined to a city of refuge. Go read the Bible. Americanism and Christianity are not even second cousins, and they never were. No kingdom of this world is a second cousin of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Governments were instituted among men, not by the consent of the governed, nor by their ideas, but by the ordinance of God. Romans chapter 13, every power that be is ordained of God. God ordained government. They derive their just powers by the ordinance of God, not by man's ideas or approval. History doesn't prove truth or wisdom. Truth or wisdom prove history's errors. You can say, but that's the blessed declaration of independence of our country. That doesn't mean a thing to me. The Bible determines whether the declaration of independence has any value or not. The declaration of independence does not color my reading of the Bible. My reading of the Bible colors my reading of the declaration of independence. They were anarchists. They wanted everything they could get their hands on and not pay it to the king. There are many other issues that would have to be considered, and we don't live in that time. We cannot recreate it to know perfectly how we would think and what we would do in given situations. We will not allow a king to tell us how we're going to serve our God. We will obey the Bible rather than men. How is a right unalienable? Principles and forms of government are not for safety and happiness. They're for God's glory, ultimately, so that righteousness is promoted in a nation. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 10 says, Folly is set in great dignity, the rich sit in low place. I've seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. And Solomon said it was an evil and it was an error that proceeds from the ruler. It's the ruler's fault that allows it to happen. He should use the military that's under his command to stop all such corruption of authority. And it should work from the top down so that even a king would would treat his wife in such a way so that every shepherd on the steppes of Afghanistan in the Persian Empire could come home to an obedient wife that would reverence him and obey him and love him. And you read that in Esther chapter 1. There's never been an organization that fits this passage more than labor unions. Where servants try to ride horses and tell princes what to do. Tell princes where to get off. They are totally incapable of ever building a business or running a business. All they are is a couple steps up from a monkey that is able to run a machine. But the men who took the capital, do you know how much capital it takes to build a factory before one man has a job? Project engineers know. It takes an enormous amount of capital to build a factory, plan a factory, design a factory, and build a factory, and put all the equipment necessary in there. If you took all the workers in a factory and took every cent that they would ever make in their lives, it is not enough capital to build a factory. Capital comes from the rich. And the rich should ride horses. And the rich should be protected. I'm thankful for Henry Ford and I'm thankful for Ronald Reagan. I'm thankful for Henry Ford and his five hired thugs that had guns in the 1930s and shot the strikers at Ford Motor Company in Dearborn, Michigan. I'm thankful for Ronald Reagan that when he got the telephone call in his Oval Office that the air traffic controllers of the United States were going to strike our airports, he said, they're all fired! Labor unions trying to tell management how to do the business and always asking for more money. Let me just prove how stupid they are and why I said they're just a couple steps above a monkey. Somebody that works for the union does not understand that asking for more and more money so that they're getting paid more than anyone else doing a comparable job anywhere else, they don't understand they're going to lose their job and not make any money. They do it because they're stupid. Then there are leaders of the union and they do it because they're greedy and ambitious, and want authority, and they're selfish. And they don't care, because they're going to make more than the common workers, and they're going to store it up, and they're going to have more when they all lose their jobs. See, I'm from Detroit, Michigan. I know all about labor unions. I know why cars can be made in Japan, shipped across 10,000 miles of water, put on trucks and delivered to a dealership, and they can do it cheaper than they can come out of Detroit, because Detroit has labor unions. There's a lot of people that live in these United States that would be happy to work in Detroit, Michigan, in those plants for one-third of what those United Auto Workers get. Princes on the ground and servants on the horses. Can you imagine the president of General Motors, who has spent 40 years riding up the rat, climbing up the, 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 the rungs of the corporate ladder of General Motors from the bottom to the top, He has to sit at a table and negotiate with the president of the United Auto Workers who has never accomplished a single thing in his life except to use the tactics of a thug to get other rebellious anarchists together to organize against labor? Incredible. We want more. They only know one word. More. There's never a thank you. There's never, we know that we're in trouble in this country right now. 
The rank and file want to give up 20% of their earnings to make sure that General Motors stays in business. Because they're too stupid. They lose their jobs. Eastern Airlines. Remember Eastern Airlines? Can't remember his name right now, but I sure love the president of Eastern Airlines. That's what you do with a company. You take it out of business and everybody that wanted to go on strike loses their job. Do you know what those, do you know what those men are paid for in the United All Workers? There is no job in America that they can go get. No job at all. Because all they did was stand there, punch a green button with the left hand, punch a red button with the right hand, and do it 20 times a minute. And see, there's nobody else in the world that will pay them anything for punching a, left, a green button with your left hand and a red button with your right. They're servants. They belong on the ground. They don't belong on horses. Owners and servants are not created equal. All an owner has to do is go out and watch his servants work, and he knows he doesn't, they don't work like owners. There's a huge difference between an owner and a servant. Do you know why this has come to pass in America? Because God has taken away the mighty men. Isaiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 says, God will take away the mighty men when he judges the nation, and women and children will become their oppressors. And children are rising up in homes. Somebody sent me a clip this week from Dr. Phil that had some child slapping his mother. I wrote back and said I could cure the, cure the kid in three minutes. And somebody wrote back and said, my husband said ten seconds or something like that. Amen. In this church, slapping his mother. When I called you the old lady one time, when I was about 10, or 10 to 12 years old, I called you the old lady in the kitchen of the house at, on McGregor Road. You took me by the back of my neck and I was surprised at how strong you were, since I thought I was pretty strong myself. You took me by the back of my neck and took me in the little bathroom that was off the kitchen there and took a bar of soap and jammed it in my mouth. And you said, when you talk like that, we need to clean up your speech and here's how we'll do it. <clears throat> Thank you. How many times did I call my mother the old lady? Sometimes I'm a fast learner. Mothers used to do that. They'd wash their children's mouth out with soap. Have you ever heard that expression? I got it practiced on me. Soap tastes terrible. Soap tastes terrible. I saw an evil under the sun. It's an error that proceeds from the ruler. Folly is set in great dignity. The rich sit in low place. I saw servants on horses and princes walking on the earth like servants. That was the error that he saw. Do you know what we get to do in our homes? Every one of you men better be fathers and husbands the way you're supposed to be. Those that you run a business, run it the way you're supposed to. Run it the way you can. When we're in our homes, let's talk honorably and respectfully about President George W. Bush, our commander-in-chief, the honorable president of our country. Let's give him every bit of respect that we possibly can, and the Lord's going to try us. The Lord's given, I did not plan this. The Lord's giving us this passage three weeks in front of when we may have a new president. I'm going to be pushed. I'm going to be pushed to the extent of my faith to be able to trust God's word and to speak honorably and respectfully about our next president. We don't know what's going to happen, but I'll tell you what. The Bible's plain enough, and I believe it. I have respect unto thy commandments. With my lips have I declared thy statutes. We're going to keep them. We're going to do it. The Lord's answering us right now. I did not plan this. We do not know what is coming. But we are going to humble ourselves because you know what? 
No matter which of those two candidates we get as our next president, it's still better than this nation deserves. This nation should have been overthrown a long time ago, and we should be slaves for some other nation. This is the word of the Lord. I hope we can submit to it. I hope in our homes we will not say things in our bedrooms about our masters at work, about anyone, about the king, about the president, about a senator that's running for president. We will not speak in in foolish, derogatory terms. We will be as respectful as we can. That doesn't mean that we can't point out errors, but that we will be careful even in our bedrooms at home. That's what he's going to tell us in verse 20. And that we will not curse the king, not even in our thoughts, nor will we curse the rich, not even in our thoughts. You may work for some forward masters. God gave you that forward master so that you can have the opportunity to show how much you love him. Because until you have a forward master, you can't show that you're a good employee. This is the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless those three verses to the solidification and conversion and strengthening of all of us, that we will understand that authority comes from heaven itself, and that when we honor authority on earth, we're honoring authority in heaven, and that God has ordained the authority on earth, and he he calls us to this kind of conduct. May the Lord give you wisdom to show your children that when they read the paper or see something that's happening in the world, there's a Bible answer for it.